57% of workers said they would sacrifice a pay rise for better well-being at work. 25% said they would sacrifice company perks and 21% said they would sacrifice a promotion for better well-being at work. Hi, I'm Julie Hyde and I'm passionate about inspiring leaders to step up and lead and be powerful role models for those around them. My guests are all doing just that and I ask them to share how they are making it count and how they have created their success. I can't wait to share their amazing stories with you. Ashley Fell is joining me today for the second episode in our employee retention series, and we are going to be chatting about well-being at work. So welcome, Ashley. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. So excited to chat to you today. And I just want to give our listeners some background about you. So some background about Ashley is she's a social researcher, author, TEDx speaker, Director of Advisory at the internationally recognized McCrindle and host of the Future Report podcast. Now, Ashley has authored two books on leadership and generational change. So Work While Being, which is the one we're going to talk about today, and Generation Alpha. So with academic qualifications in communications and as a generational expert, Ashley understands that leaders need to inspire and engage employees and consumers and connect them with the organisational's purpose and vision. Now, her expertise is in training and equipping leaders and teams on how to lead across generational divides, particularly Gen Y, popularly known as Millennials, and Jed Z, and now the newest generation, Generation Alpha. And oh my God, Ashley, you desperately need help <laughs> in how to manage across generations. It's another big challenge that leaders are really facing today. So it's good to know who to go to. So I really wanted to tap into Ashley's expertise and ask her to share how well-being at work plays a critical role in not only employee retention and acquisition, but also engagement. So Ashley, huge intro there. And I'm a massive fan of McCrindle and all the research that you do. It's just so good to have Australian-based research happening that we Mm. can refer to, which is really, really relevant. Shall we just get stuck in? Yes, absolutely. Let's go. Let's dive in. (laughs) Yeah, fabulous. Okay. So now workplace wellbeing has become a bit of a buzzword. So can we start here and can you demystify this for us and really tell us what it means? Yes, absolutely. And I guess to that point around, it has become a buzzword, which is, I guess, why we decided to write a book on the topic. And the The origins of the book is really interesting because we started writing it in 2019 and or actually maybe even 2018 now that I think about it in terms of a concept and then getting that developed and we were meant to publish it in 2019 and for a range of different reasons we had to delay the publication date and I remember at the time I was a little bit annoyed or frustrated rather and then the pandemic hit and I'm like well I'm glad we didn't write a book about work before you know the biggest transformation to work in perhaps a century so Yeah, the idea for us was that, yes, workplace wellbeing has definitely become a bit of a buzzword and everyone's really interested in it. We actually called our book Work Wellbeing, uh, Mm. so kind of a different term. And really what we believe at the core work wellbeing is, is it's when our work contributes to and enhances our sense of meaning, purpose and contribution in life. And for a long time, I think a lot of people thought workplace wellbeing, especially about you know, Gen Y and the millennials and the younger generations is swings in the office and fruit bowls and standing desks and yoga and office dogs. And I guess for us, we wanted to go 
it's not to undermine that stuff because it is important, but actually mm. work well-being is when our work has meaning in our lives. We're not just like, oh, I've just got to get through this week to get to the weekend. It's about our contribution and our sense of purpose and and our well-being and how it contributes to the different facets of our well-being, like our vocational well-being, as well as our physical well-being, which is, I guess, is where the standing desks come in, some of those surface level things. But actually, it's a lot deeper than that. And mm. work just plays such a, a big part in our lives. You know, for many of us, it's a third of our our waking hours, if not more sometimes at work. So it's, I think, the place we most need to get well-being right so yeah I think it's a it's a bit deeper than just the surface level stuff it's about our sense of meaning purpose and contribution in life as we define it yeah absolutely and also that is that is absolutely what people are looking for particularly with the younger generations now sort of coming through that that is incredibly important to them that sense of meaning that contribution and also that sense of purpose. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's something that we were seeing pre-pandemic and was really highlighted to us even last year. I mean, with the pandemic, we ran more internal research, I think, last year than any any year before because it was such a time of great change. And yeah, we were asking mm. different generations about the pandemic and, and work and particularly the younger generations are really looking for work that aligns to their mm. values and purpose, I think even more so than previous generations. So it's, it's definitely important. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So let's talk about that because, you know, we've all been talking about the great resignation that's hit the US and it's pending here. Um, and I know the employment market is incredibly tight here. It's very hard to find good talent. So the importance in retaining your good people and then having a culture that attracts talent to you means more now than ever. So why do you think this is so critical to the retention of employees now? Mm. Well, it's it's fascinating because... Again, like pre-pandemic, we were running research and surveys and focus groups about sort of all of this topic. And we certainly found, again, pre-pandemic, that mental health and, and stress of workers was actually, according to Employed Australians, the number one impact on the future of work. And that was above things like demographic trends, where work will be done, sectors disappearing, computerization and robotics, like all these things that I think people think about when it comes to the future of work. Mm. Workers pre-pandemic were saying it's the mental health and stress, it's our work's ability to contribute to our well-being. And when we ran a survey, again, pre-pandemic, it was about what are the most important elements in your workplace and workplace well-being was number one and number two was relationships with colleagues and peers. So I think this was already becoming such an important issue and then the pandemic, I think, spotlighted well-being and even that what you were talking about in terms of the great resignation and people just re-evaluating now yeah. as we come out of the pandemic a little bit what's important what do we want to take from that experience moving forward into our lives once things return to a bit more of that normalcy but again even as you were mentioning Julie around the emerging generations like we've been seeing that uh, they are evaluating their employers and it's almost the reverse kind of the employee is interviewing the employer and saying well what culture am I going to commit this key part of my life to what are your values do they align with mine and what we found that particularly the emerging generations are looking for and what we talk to organizations about in terms of attracting and retaining top talent is five key things number five being um i guess the least important number one being the most so number five being training 
Number four being job content. Number three being leadership style. Number two being work-life integration or work-life balance, but we call it work-life integration. And number one being workplace culture and just these elements that um, people are looking for. And another sort of couple of stats, I can't help it, I do work in research, so I'm going to throw in a few stats. I love stats. (laughs) Okay, good. Hopefully your listeners do too and hopefully I can make them interesting. But, um, yeah, we we ran a survey um, with an organisation called Reventure a couple of years ago and we actually found that 57% of workers said they would sacrifice a pay rise for better wellbeing at work. 25% said they would sacrifice company perks and 21% said they would sacrifice a promotion for better well-being at work. So again, that sort of gave us this premise for this book and and just how much it was on the hearts and minds of employees, which means it needs to be on the hearts and minds of leaders and employers as they look to, yeah, like you said, not only attract great talent, but retain great talent. And in this time of the great resignation, I guess leaders and employers need to be thinking about the great retention and how they do retain uh, their employees as we look to the future, as we all start to evaluate what we want our lives to look like post-pandemic. Those um, points, the five points that you mentioned are really interesting. I I'm not surprised by culture, um, you know, the, the, the integration or the, you know, if we can call it well-being, if you like, overall mm. well-being is is really interesting there too because I think to your stats um, in one of your, the Australians post-COVID survey, you know, 76% of people surveyed said that they had reprioritised what was important to them. So, mm. you know, with the great resignation and um, the great retention, there's this big relocation that's happening in Australia as well where people are packing up the family caravan in tow, tripping around Australia, which is putting a lot of pressure on organisations because, again, that's quite disruptive. So Mm. these people aren't necessarily going to other organisations but they're leaving. So it sort of begs the question, how can I keep them still engaged and involved in the business even though they might be at the other end of Australia or you know working odd hours we have to really think differently yes and I think it is going to require a bit of creativity and and flexibility from the employer's perspective because you're absolutely right we've we talk about the rise of the regions that people are leaving the capital cities because for so long the regions had the livability and the affordability but the barrier was employability and now that for many people, especially if you're living maybe an hour or an hour and a half away from a Mm. CBD, you can still commute in once a week, once a fortnight, whatever the arrangement is to get the team interaction, to get that collaboration. Um, But yeah, we've become, COVID's just changed so much. Um, And yeah, that does have big impacts, again, even where people live on how they work and how they collaborate and how leaders make them feel included if you've got a more decentralized uh, team of employees where people are working in different locations different cities so it does definitely uh, I think require some creativity on the part of leaders to maintain or build that culture that workplace culture because it's something that I think all of us are looking for not just the emerging generations and it is hard to do when people aren't in the same room and I think we've all experienced when you're on zoom and it's just a lot more uh, I guess, concentrated or transactional, whereas when you're in the same place as others, there are great benefits. And I saying to my colleague the other day, like, I just haven't laughed this much in all of lockdown that I, as yeah. I have been when we've been back in the office, because there's the incidental conversations. And mm. sometimes even just hearing other people laugh makes me laugh. You know, it's not just the joke. It's actually hearing everyone else. And 
at our team, you know, we've got quite a young team at McCrindle and we actually play like we all stop and have lunch together. So that's part of our culture and relationship building. We play Monopoly Deal. We play cards at lunch. Like it's it's kind of we try really hard to create that. And it, it does require it required us to get more creative when we were in lockdown um, more recently because a lot of our team is Sydney based. So, yes, it, it is a challenge, but I think employers mm. are up to it. And if not, they sort of have to be. So yeah, changing times for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. People's appetite to get back into the office in some industry, you see it's really strong. Like They cannot wait to get back, particularly creatives. And then other, you know, maybe private sector um, workplaces, it's like, yeah, not so keen, happy to work from home, particularly around that commute. So I'm sure we could do a whole podcast just on that. Of course. (laughs) And now for a quick break. If you are listening to this podcast, then you understand how important leadership is to your success. And that starts with you. How you lead yourself will impact the performance of your business, your team, and your career. That is why we developed the Role Model Effect Program. This program is designed for those who want to sharpen their leadership tools and be a leader that people want to work with. It's seven weeks, a value-packed and laser-focused course spent on crafting your leadership for success. You will walk away with absolute clarity on what you need to do to be a successful leader. The results our participants are achieving speak for themselves. So, if you understand that leadership is the key to your success, contact Julie to find out more at juliehyde.com.au. Now, I'd love to, if you could share with us, and this is included in your book as well, like what, what are the barriers to, you know, well-being at work? Yes. Yeah, so we ran some really, again, interesting, in my opinion, uh, research about what are the blockers or barriers to people thriving at work. And this was really interesting. So probably not surprising, but number one was people feeling overworked and stressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the most common response to people not feeling like they can thrive at work. The next was management structures or hierarchy, followed by leadership, a lack of resources and training, general culture fellow co-workers, lack of trust and fairness, as well as lack of clear direction and vision, job insecurity, a focus on profitability as well also came up. And, Mm. you know, I think that's interesting in and of itself. And then what we actually did with this question was we sort of tried to group some of these answers based on the themes that came through. And really interestingly, the two main themes across all those answers are leadership and culture. They're the main reasons that people find they're having blockers, uh, all the main blockers are to them thriving at work and leadership was even larger than culture. So I think it does point to that, I guess, when we look at our own organizations or we look at ourselves and our own work, we go, okay, well, what are the barriers or blockers that we feel? And are they related to leadership? Because the culture of an organization really does um, flow top down and leaders sort of set the expectation of the behaviors and the attitudes and the values and the purpose even that that is acceptable, that is commonplace and other employees take their lead from them. And so looking at that, but also the culture. And I think it's not, it is the responsibility of leaders, but I think all employees have a role to play in building the culture they want to see in an organization. Mm -hmm. So yeah, leadership and culture were the main two themes there around people having those sorts of barriers to saying that their workplace or their work is a contributor to their well-being. Mm, and I love that word you use, thrive, and I know that's ultimately what we're focusing on. It's enabling people to thrive at work. So it doesn't surprise me that it's leadership and culture. And like you say, you know, 
the culture is led top down. So leaders, if they if they're sprouting that there is a you know this culture of well being at work, they really have to role model it. But like you say, there's no nothing stopping people from role modeling that um, anyway from within. And you know when you've got really large organisations, you know you are relying on people. You know, whether it's the middle tier or, you know, the lower tier in terms of management and leadership to really lead the way with those types of things. So that's the only way you're going to keep a culture alive. Yep. Yeah. So in talking about that, what do you think needs to happen for this to be a culture that is lived and breathed for organisations? Yeah, it's a great question. And I guess we often share with organisations sort of three main areas that I think, help to build a culture of well-being. And the first is culture, purpose and impact. So number one, build the culture. And that is really looking at the root system of an organisation in terms of how you do things and even thinking about what are our attitudes or what are the maybe even unsaid, unspoken ways that we do things, what behaviours are acceptable um, as to the culture that is built in an organisation. And again, I think that really does flow uh, top down. So building that culture, being intentional about it, because culture is built in an organisation, whether we're intentional or not. Uh, And so why not be intentional about that? And again, getting people to buy in and being clear about expectations. And again, that can be challenging when people are working more remotely or more from home, but it's still important and it's still possible even when people aren't all in the same space together. So yeah, and I think that's something that actually we will be thinking and and looking at in terms of how do organisations build culture in a more decentralised world uh, of work. So that's something that we're definitely going to be exploring, I think, and, and conducting some research on. So number one, build culture. Number two, focus on purpose. So that's that P part of the CPI equation. And, you know, I think for many young people, Young people leave jobs, I think, not because there is a compelling reason to leave necessarily, but because there's no compelling reason to stay. And in this sort of employee job market, um, in the great resignation, people are looking, like we talked about earlier, for brands and companies and work that makes them feel like they're making a difference. And we've got a real empowered younger generation who are going, I'm not going to stand for anything less. Uh, which is, I think, hopefully going to lift the game overall uh, in terms of organisations really thinking about, well, why do we exist and what is motivating our employees to come in to the office or work from home every day or give us their time? Uh, So thinking about purpose and making sure that, I guess, leadership is clear on that, that that is communicated regularly Mm. to the team. And number three is uh, that I part of that CPI equation. So culture, purpose, and the I is for impact. Um, And I think what I love about this is we call it an equation because many organizations might say they've got a really strong culture and they know the purpose, but maybe they don't celebrate the impacts. Um, Mm. And, you know, I think that if you're focusing on all elements, it can hopefully be a bit of a checklist or an evaluating tool to hopefully avoid people burning out. Because if, if you've got a great healthy culture and people are really passionate, but they're not being celebrated, that can be kind of leading to burnout where they don't feel like they're being valued or they're being rewarded, I guess, you know, monetarily from remuneration, but also non-monetary rewards or just recognition or acknowledgement or celebration. If organizations can focus on those three things or just use those three things to evaluate their own culture that exists, I think that might be a good starting point to hopefully evaluate how 
people in the team feel about their well-being? Would they say their work in these areas contributes to their well-being rather than, yeah, just something they, they, they'd they have to do to, to get paid to live their life? Hopefully work is, is more than that. It's got a higher purpose, um, which, again, we know the emerging generations and all of us are looking for with our work. Yeah, I think we're all getting a bit smarter around that and a, a bit less tolerant. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we older generations as well. But, yeah, I love that. So the CPI. I love a good acronym. I used to be uh, working in the finance industry and we had lots of them. So, yep. <laughs> so I do love that. And do you think around that, you know, the culture, the purpose and the um, impact, is, is that where you think the opportunity is for leaders right now? I suppose, you know, what are you seeing from your work that is the biggest gap that leaders might really need to pay attention to? It's interesting because as we come out of this real year of, or years, I should say, the last two years of, you know, great change. And, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, Julie, in terms of people reprioritizing, that's what our research has found, mm-hmm. that there were things that the pandemic kind of brought to light with all this extra time that we had by working from home for many of us and time savings and money savings and not having that busyness or enough time in our day. And I feel like pre-pandemic, many of us use the busy badge almost as like a badge of honor. I'm so busy and I'm exhausted and that kind of equals success or, and it is good to be busy. And maybe a few of us missed that, uh, you know, in lockdown, we're like, I kind of missed the days when I I had things to do (laughs) because we just had to stay home for so long. Um, But pre or post pandemic, I should say, we aren't wanting to live. Many of us aren't wanting to live how we did pre pandemic. And I think that is where the great resignation is Mm. coming in because people are evaluating and they're going, okay, I don't need to stand for this. Um, We had some pretty like shocking times globally in the last two years. Um, We haven't had the stability that we have had for decades past. Um, And so what we're now evaluating is going, yeah, where do I want to live? Do I want to live in a regional area or the city? Do I, what kind of job do I want to have? And what I think leaders might be at risk of doing in this time where things are starting to open up again in Australia specifically and, and moving on from the pandemic, fingers crossed, hopefully, um, is that they go, okay, we need to knuckle down and focus on profitability and, and productivity, which, you know, is the, is a priority for many leaders and organizations. But if we don't think about the well-being of our teams, if we aren't empathetic, if we aren't flexible or adaptable, that's I think where we are going to see people leave in that great resignation. And I thought I would just um, share one quote from the Work Wellbeing book that we wrote, which I think is really relevant for the moment that we're in at the moment. It says, it's desirable that leaders bring intelligence, but it is essential that they exercise empathy. Leaders of head and heart are best placed to innovate amid disruption and engage across diversity. And it does feel like we are living in times of greater change than ever before. And so, you know, we need leaders of the head, but we also need leaders of the heart and to focus on prioritizing places of well-being and, and innovating and going, okay, if people don't want to come back to the office every single day, how are we going to change what tasks we expect of the office, what tasks can be done at home and just speaking to employees and finding out what their desires are and also just leaders being clear about the expectation and, and communicating well how work 
might change once we do come back and how we meet the changing needs of this sort of global workforce as we've all experienced this new era of work from home and reprioritizing. So yeah, making sure that leaders focus on culture, purpose and impact and and lead with, I guess, empathy rather than just, mm. yeah, focus on the outcomes. Because I think if we if we do that, that's where we will see probably people resigning in great numbers because they're just not going to stand for it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And I think empathy has really rocketed to the very top in terms of a critical skill for leaders now to enable them to engage people in the way that they need to now and also to get the results that they need from them. Because, you know, another quote in your book, you know, it's not funny that, you know, success is about people now you know business is about Mm -hmm. people leadership's about people so let's work out Mm -hmm. how to get the best and enable our people to thrive that's actually not the quote but it is yeah it's very similar so almost spot on (laughs) absolutely so what I'll be doing is I'll be sharing um in the show notes how people can get in touch with you because this is something that leaders really need to be you know, red hot on if they are going to future-proof their organisation, particularly, you know, in the short term but also long term. And also tapping into your expertise about managing the generational divides as well. So I'll be sharing that with the show notes. Is there anything else that you would like to share that you think would be valuable to our listeners? Yeah, I loved what you were sharing just then from the quote from our book. And yeah, what we what we wrote is, you know, yeah, business is about people. And if those people are well-led, they actually deliver superior outcomes for the organization and services to the clients and community. So people first, focusing on people is really important. I guess one other thing I would say, if there are a lot of organizational leaders listening, and this is something that came up in the research that we conducted for our Work Wellbeing book with leaders, is that many of them are, are going, oh my gosh, is my team's well-being solely my responsibility? And you know, when we conducted some research for the book, we found that 83% of employed Australians said that providing work well-being is important and it's the responsibility of the employer. So, you know, leadership can be a barrier, leadership can be an opportunity, and there is a responsibility on leaders. But I would also say to leaders, you need to look out for your own well-being as well yeah. and making sure that you invest in yourself and that you draw those boundaries because, you know, the employee's well-being can't rest solely on your shoulders, especially I think in a decentralized environment. It's hard to know if people are doing ridiculous hours or working back or if they're really stressed when you're not in the same place together. So I think just being kind to yourself, having grace with yourself as a leader and looking after your own well-being will help you look after others and have that empathy and that sort of thing. So I would just say that I think, you know, we, we do talk a lot about leaders need to yeah. be, you know, embodying culture and purpose and impact and it's their responsibility and that's true. But we also want to acknowledge that there is onus on the individual and the employee and to just for leaders to look out for themselves. So I would just add that in hopefully as a as a small note of encouragement to leaders as well. Yes, I love that because leaders are human too and there is a, yes. a whole lot of expectation on their shoulders. And I think the intent with most leaders is that they want to do the right thing. And um, so, yeah, so I 110% support that. And also that comes back to role modelling, you know, what they would like their team to do in terms of taking care of themselves. So it starts with you and people can see the possibility and the opportunity. So I think that's a great note to end on. So 
Ashley, thank you so much for being part of the Making It Count podcast and for being so generous in sharing your insights. And I really uh, recommend this book for people because implementing, you know, the, the, the CPIs doesn't need to be hard. It can be really simple strategies that um, can be implemented and also, you know, really tapping into the McCrindle research because it is super, super valuable. I can't recommend it highly enough. So Ashley, thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business, and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.